0: I'd like to invite you on a walk. Ghouta, which I am almost definitely pronouncing incorrectly, is a suburb east of Damascus in Syria. It was once an agricultural area, much like one of my hometowns of Katy, Texas which used to grow rice and wheat before it became a suburb of Houston. Or like the current suburb of Boise, Nampa, Idaho, which happens to have a lot of farms, but with the influx of immigrants to Boise, from California and elsewhere, it is slowly becoming more suburban than it is farmland. So Gouda is a similar place that turned almost wholly suburban, though of course we don't have the large houses that Americans might be used to for their suburbs but a more international form of suburb, which means lots of tall, flats, uh, apartments, basically, that are stacked fairly high. A feature of Gouda, the terrain there, is that it's a little higher than Damascus. And what this means is that it's an excellent launching point for indirect fire. If you use an M249 automatic weapon and fire it at someone that is direct fire. If you take an M4 and you fire it at someone that is direct fire. If you take an AT4 and fired at someone, that is direct fire. If you got a group of longbowmen and got them to fire higher up into the sky so that their shafts would then come down on a mass of men somewhat far away, then that is indirect fire. If you use artillery, as in the kind that was especially popularized in World War One, that is indirect fire so Gouda is a good spot to use indirect fire on Damascus from which means mortar artillery rockets and that's part of why in addition to local support the Syrian rebels made it a sort of home base the Syrian government responded by laying siege to the area which is an age-old tactic of cordoning an area off and cutting off supplies back and forth of course guda survived through smuggling as it is profitable to get food into and out of a besieged area a besieged area The very many factions of rebels were holed up to there and attacking the Syrian government for a while when, with Russian support, the Syrian government started launching their own bombardments into Ghouta. The implication is that they were less discriminate about their targeting than the rebels, though we don't really know that for sure. We do know that Gouda was pretty well bombed out over the course of several years, sometime between 2015 and 2018, though you can look at it on Google Maps now in satellite view, and it does look like a lot of those buildings are either built back up or remain intact, The people that suffer most, of course, in these situations are the very young and the very old. Fighters, because they keep on moving and have the ability to fend for themselves tend to be the least affected in terms of their health relative to the rest of the population there. But anyway, with the support of the Russian government, over time, Guda, a locus of rebel control, was besieged, bombed out, and the will of the rebels was broken, and they started infighting sometime around 2018 or 2019. When this happened, the rebellion in Syria suffered a decisive blow and and they are to my limited understanding having trouble putting on a proper defensive or revolutionary front against the Syrian government now the point of this is that Gouda is a physical place and because it is a physical place, the value of the rebels, the symbol of rebel strength was assailable. We might say in the language of conflict that Gouda was a center of gravity for the rebels. When you are fighting someone, as one human and another, it's important to maintain control of your center of gravity while destabilizing the other person's center of gravity. Because if they don't have control of their center of gravity, and you do, they will open themselves up to more serious attacks. This is possibly most beautifully exemplified by both judo throws and salat takedowns. If you watch those on YouTube or elsewhere, you'll find there's a lot of jockeying for position, and when the right position is found, one person will completely disrupt the other person's center of gravity, which results in a dramatic throw. In the past, as in Gouda, the center of gravity for many peoples was the land that they knew how to survive in. The land that they could get sustenance from. In nomadic societies, this was often a large expanse, that they would travel between at different times, knowing where they had to be, when, in order to get enough food, water, and shelter from the land. In more sedentary societies, this was much more obvious with farming you needed the land in order to eat. And the sense of identity, the sense of who a people are, was tied to that land more than anything else. There were some exceptions in terms of identification with a religion, which includes the first state religions, and for a long time, maybe identification with a greater family unit. Sometime after the 10th century, this kind of thing slowly seems to change into what we might now recognize as nationalism by about the 15th century or so in Western Europe at least and something closer to the kinship of language and culture in China what this means is that suddenly the center of gravity the store of value was no longer in the land as much, though it still got it for many lands but in the ideas within the minds of people so that if you attacked such a people they might lose their land they might lose one way of livelihood but because they had their ideas it was very difficult to actually destroy their fighting spirit. You might see this in modern allegedly extremist Islamic groups and so on sometimes Sikh groups sometimes Buddhist groups in that you may go after the land they are on, but their spirit still continues, strong as ever. And sometimes it's not even directly fighting, but indirectly fighting, as in the place of displaced peoples, such as Jews or Armenians, where the culture has disconnected itself from the land and so is better able to survive being tossed and turned away from the land. To contrast with a lot of native peoples when a globalist power encounters them, in colonization, going after the land, parceling it up, Burning it, changing the land, was often a way to completely break a local people's. Because their entire way of being, their identification, is with the land. Which means that in some ways, they were easier targets than a people whose center of gravity might be in their minds more directly. We, today, speaking this language, have most of our centers of gravity in symbols. And this has benefits in that we would actually be extremely difficult to wipe out. But it also has negatives in that There is no clear grounding for most of us. It's difficult to understand why you're here or what you're supposed to do every day. And because of that, we suffer from a lack of purpose, from a lack of connection to our reason for being. And so many people try to ground themselves in material wealth Where the the store of their value is not even in the land, but in the things that have been manufactured and purchased around them Or in the numbers on their screens There is perhaps along the line of change a newer sort of person the kind of people who grew up on the internet who are not even really connected to that though because the materialist position is currently the dominant one they don't fully realize that they are in some way freer from these material objects in the same way that those who are connected to the material objects are in some way freer from the land. These are people who might have trouble identifying with their own bodies often. They tend to take on aspects of transhumanist values of the idea that they are somehow beyond nationality, race and gender and often espouse the belief in the ability for humans to change themselves drastically physically and mentally. And in this idealism, they're grasping for a sort of freedom that they actually already have. It's just that in an effort to define itself in relation to the past paradigm of how value is stored, it tries to explain itself in materialist terms. But it's actually something different, something freer, something potentially more. If you've ever seen the cartoon series Avatar The Last Airbender, in it there are four different types of peoples. For tribes or nations, and those nations are fire, water, earth, and air. They each come with their own sets of abilities. You might say that. Their centers of gravity, their ways of being are tied to those elements individually. But there is an avatar, the title character, who is of all of them, yet also not. And because of this, the avatar avatar, has the ability to use all the powers of all the elements because in being free from each of these tribes the avatar is actually of all of them so too with the people whose value whose being is stored almost exclusively in the mind free of any specific ideology or material store they can assume the values and abilities of all of them now most people who have this capacity haven't quite realized it yet but maybe you'll notice if you have changed your mind about what you are about how you see the world more than two or three times in your lifetime maybe you might see how unusual that is in the course of history for the average person to go through so many dark nights of the soul to go through so many existential questions without being stuck in a monastery and maybe just maybe you might realize that you have the freedom to choose the freedom to use any paradigm you come across Wherever you are, whatever values or ideology or land you use to survive, it's yours and it's mine.